All right, good morning. How we doing? Everybody okay? Good. Saw a few more people struggle in late coming in from our uh, day at the park. It's good to see you. Good to have you here. Thankful that you are here, that you're with us. Thankful for the day that we had yesterday. Thankful for uh, just so many of the conversations that uh, have already been had this morning and the conversations to come. I got to tell you, I really enjoy Uh, Just the conversations and the fellowship that takes place both before service and uh, at the end of our service as well. It's just good to see a lot of good conversation happening. A lot of you have already asked, hey, when are we going to do another uh, day at the park? And uh, man, Brianna, job well done. That was successful. Uh, So we'll be doing that again. Uh, We'll plan another one. Maybe when the weather's a little bit cooler and uh, we're a little more prepared with like a medic kit and a nurse or two uh, for the adults, not the kids. Um, Yeah, so we'll... (laughs) We'll give you fair warning. Maybe we'll have like a, a morning of stretching uh, before we get ready. But anyway, all in all, it's a good day. Well, I got to tell you, it's um, just a great day to be here, to be in the house of the Lord. We are still moving through First John. We're in First John chapter 5 today. It's our series called uh, Abiding Light, and a little more on that in a moment. But I got to tell you, some of you guys have always asked me, you know, Pastor, how do you spend your mornings uh, before you preach and prepare? Like, is there like a pregame ritual or anything that you do? Uh, no, I don't. Um, I do uh, get here, get here early, uh, go to my office, spend some time praying, just kind of reviewing over the word and uh, what I hope will be uh, a word that honors and glorifies God above all else. And so uh, then I got to be honest with you, I kind of get myself a little fired up because it is just a joy and an honor and uh, humbling to be able to uh, proclaim the word of God during this time. Uh, so I do have a tendency to kind of get the blood pumping a little bit, get worked up, I'm not doing jumping jacks or anything. Don't, don't think I'm over my office listening to Eye of the Tiger or the theme for Rocky Balboa. Uh, that's not happening. That is not my go-to song. There's another one. I won't tell you what it is. Uh, I'm kidding about that. But I'll tell you, one of my favorite things to hear from people is uh, when they come up to you, and I had a brother come up to me and say this this morning. He said, uh, Pastor, I'm here, I'm back, and man, I just want you to throw down this morning. And uh, man, I tell you what, that uh, that was encouraging to hear, edifying to hear. And so if you see, if you hear that I'm a little bit more uh, enthusiastic today, a little more motivated, it's because it's probably the last thing you should tell your pastor on a Sunday morning right before he's about to preach, uh, because he will definitely take that word to heart and definitely get after it. So let's just do that very thing right now. Um, we are here today in our final moments of First John, again, in our study called Abiding Light. Now, I want to give you a, a heads up, if I could. We're going to be taking the next couple weeks uh, together to finish First John chapter 5. There's a lot being said uh, in this particular chapter, so we're going to be here for the next couple weeks. Um, then what's going to happen after that is we're going to hit about a one-week pause, okay? Doesn't mean that we're done with the series. We're just going to hit the brakes uh, for one week, and uh, Jason Kalaski is going to be in the pulpit preaching that one week, and so, uh, man, I'm looking forward to that, having him up in the pulpit again. Um, and then what will happen after that is we will then come back to our series, Abiding Light, and we'll finish out with Second John and then Third John, and that will complete the epistles of John. So all that to say, uh, don't lose focus just yet because we are now getting closer uh, to the finish of John's text here. But the reality is we are not quite there yet. So what I want to look at this morning is, um, as we'll see, is that John will pick up on this theme of how Christians display evidence of being children of God and abiding in God. And so John is going to now tell us the marks, if you will, that can be seen through our beliefs about God and the way that we live for God. Because you see, as children of God, we are now marked by God. And so as Christians, we now carry uh, these distinguishing uh, marks. Now, in thinking that, um, I need to take a moment and 
redeem myself if, if I could, because many of you also commented this morning about how I was giving my kids, especially my younger ones, a hard time last week. Um, and some of you are fully prepared to rat me out on that today. So um, I'm going to do a preemptive strike here if I could. First of all, I want to tell you that uh, in light of talking about my children and the toys that come with children, I want you to know that children are amazing, okay? Um, and I'm thankful for my children. I'm thankful for my kids. In fact, we've been celebrating my younger two all weekend uh, with a little birthday party together and then a family uh, get together last night. And then today is actually Naomi's birthday. So if you uh, see Naomi, wish her a happy birthday today. Uh, that would just mean a lot to her. And she's not even going to look at me right now because I think I've embarrassed her. And I'm okay with that because that's my role as a dad. All right. So I embrace that really well. Uh, but man, I want you to understand children are amazing. My children are amazing. And many of you have asked uh, Johnny, are you happy to have your family back? And the answer to that question is yes, absolutely. I am happy my family's home. I'm happy because there is now life in my home. Again, things are happening. Uh, stuff is moving around, and I enjoy that. It is good to, to hear the conversation again in my home. It's good to hear the laughter of the kids in the home. And, man, i got to say I've been soaking in just every moment I've had with my kids uh, since they've been home. And i got to be honest with you, I'm pretty confident by now that I think most, if not all, of my children are now annoyed with me, okay? Um, I have successfully annoyed my older two. It took less than 12 hours, um, and I think I'm, I'm working my way through the younger two at this point. Um, and then my wife, God bless her, I think she gave up hope the first 30 minutes she was home. But anyway, I am thankful that they're here, thankful uh, that they're home. But here's what really blows me away about uh, kids, and especially my kids in particular. So if you're a parent or a grandparent, uh, you're going to relate to this well. It's just amazing to me to really watch our kids grow, isn't it? I mean, it really is something. I mean, I'm blown away by what our children learn, about what they pick up on. Man, I love looking at them, and I love looking at our children, especially my children, and I love seeing little pieces of me in the children, but praise God to whom all blessings flow. I see a lot of my wife, Allison, and I think that's going to be a good thing uh, as they get older. And here's the funny thing to me. People always come up to you. If you haven't had this happen to you yet, then just know it will. Uh, but it's always funny to me when people come up to you and say, man, that is definitely your child. I mean, that child acts just like you, or that child looks just like you. In fact, one of my kids who shall remain nameless got told not that long ago that she was a spitting image of her father, and I have never seen my child more embarrassed in all her life uh, than that moment. And so uh, we'll just pray for her and with her because I completely understand. I look at this in the mirror every day. But either way, these personality traits and these, these looks, if you will, is what reminds me that our kids really and truly belong to us. And it's really quite an amazing thing. As you compare that uh, to our text today, this is exactly what John is going to call the believers to as well. You see, John's going to remind the believers in the local church this morning to look for the marks that reveal that they now belong to the family of God. So I want us to go ahead and dive into our text here in 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, and I hope and pray that we're able to see what it is that John now calls the marks of the overcomer. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, we're going to begin reading today in 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. And once you have found your place in the Word, if you can and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now again, this is John writing to the believers, writing to the local church. In 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, John writes, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. 
And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And in his commandments, or excuse me, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you for this time, and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity we have now to spend these next few moments together in your word. And Father, we pray that as we've already sung your word today, as we've already prayed your word, Father, we pray that in these next few moments, prepare our hearts and our minds to to further understand your truth according to 1 John 5. So God, tune our hearts, our minds, our eyes, and our ears to your truth. And God, we pray that today that you and you alone would be glorified. Lord, we thank you, we praise you. Thank you for the hope that can be found in you, the joy that can be found in you. God, I pray that you would just satisfy us, not only by your grace, but through the faith that you've given us. Father, help us just to be satisfied in your word today and who you are. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you for this time together. For it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Well, by this point in hearing these words from 1 John 5, verse 1 through 5, I imagine some of you may be like, okay, John, we now get it. We understand it. We are children of God. We understand what it means to be children of God. We get it that we're supposed to be uh, marked by God. We now understand that there are marks to being children of God. John, you've been telling us this for weeks, brother. We now finally get it. So can we move on at this point? And I imagine if John were having this conversation with you, he'd probably say, brother, I hear you, but I think we need to take a step back as believers today and really take a look at John himself in order to really understand why this affirmation as children of God was so important to John. You see, John has already spoken to doctrinal and moral and ethical marks of the believer. And so as we come to our text today, John is now going to show the church the implications of these marks and how they give clear evidence that we as believers are now children of God. Again, John is hoping that we can now see the assurance that we have in our faith, especially knowing that there are false teachers who will come, that there are false teachers who are now in our midst who are coming with the goal of sowing seeds of doubt. So John reminds us again that we belong to Jesus Christ who is our Lord and as believers in Jesus Christ, we should now enjoy the gift of eternal life. Now, many at this point would ask, okay, again, why is this such a big deal for John? I mean, I understand it. It's it's really easy for us to say in today's society, you know what, I get that Jesus Christ is Lord, but I'm not sure where Jesus is when I'm dealing with this diagnosis. 
I understand that Jesus Christ is Lord, but I don't understand where Jesus is when I'm dealing with the fact that I just lost my job. Or, or some of us may have said at some point, I understand that Jesus Christ is Lord, but how can we even begin to say that he is Lord when you clearly see the fabric of our country beginning to unravel? And we're beginning to see the very fabric of our churches beginning to unravel. Where is Jesus in this moment? You see, it's at this point, we need to not just simply question John and what it is that he is saying, but we need to look at John, the person, John, the apostle. You see, John was the last living apostle. We need to remember that John would be the one who would say to us, hey, I get it. I understand that life is hard. I understand that things can get complicated. I understand what it's like to see an empire begin to crumble. You see, John was one of the first apostles ever threatened or even persecuted for his faith. John was the one who had watched or had heard of all of his closest friends being persecuted and killed for the sake of their faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. In fact, tradition tells us that it was John himself who was thrown into burning oil, and when that didn't kill him, he was then banished to an island prison to die as a slave. So if anyone understood hardship, it would be John. But then tradition also tells us that John would ultimately live through this persecution, that he would then be released, where he would live out his days in Ephesus. In fact, it was Jerome who wrote that John, in his old age, could barely get his voice above a whisper. And when gathered with the believers in worship, he would begin by saying, little children love one another. You see, John believed that as a Christian, loving one another was the great command. And if it was done well, meaning it was done out of a love for God, then that would be enough. Clearly, John believed in the need for assurance. As one who was persecuted, as one who was threatened, he lived the need for assurance. And yet at the same time, he knew that the scars of persecution paled in comparison to the marks of the overcomer. So this morning, I want us to look at John's text again, and I want us to look at what John now calls the marks of the overcomer. The mark number one that we see in verse one is a belief in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. You see, John opens with a Christological issue reminding us that true Christians will always come back to belief in Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, if you're paying attention to our text today, you'll notice that John bookends our text in verse 1 and verse 5 with the affirmation that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so for us today, we are now called to affirm what Peter has already said about Jesus in Matthew 16, 16, when he says, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God. And so coming back to our text, John wants us to believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, according to verse one, and then later confess him as Messiah in verse five. Now notice that John uses words like everyone. In other words, this is an all-inclusive word. No one is now excluded from the need to make the confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. He also uses the word believes here. 
Now, I love this particular word because this word actually points to a continuous action. You see, John is now giving us the command to continually confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So you see, this belief in Jesus, this isn't for a select few people to do occasionally or, or to do once and then be done with it, and then there were other ways to get to God. That's not what John is saying at all. Rather, in order to receive Christ, in order to be a child of God, John is teaching us that we have to believe and confess continually that Jesus Christ is Lord. In other words, our faith in God is not just a one and done thing that we can simply put on a shelf. Rather, it is something that we have to constantly remind ourselves of who it is that we belong to. And why is that? Because we need to work out our salvation? No, because the reality is doubt will come. The reality is deceivers will come. False teachers will come. People will come and tell you that your faith is false, that your God is bogus, that Jesus is not real. They will come tell you all sorts of things. And so John in verse 1 is reminding us that we always need to turn, whether in celebration or in struggle, we always need to turn to the simple fact that we believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, I love what Charles Spurgeon says about this point. He says, the faith intended in this text evidently rests upon a person. It rests upon Jesus Christ. Spurgeon continues, it's not a belief about doctrine, nor an opinion, nor a formula, but belief concerning a person. So what is meant by Jesus is the Christ? Well, it means that Jesus is the prophet. It means that Jesus is the priest. It means that Jesus is the king of the church. In all these senses, Jesus is anointed. And so we have to ask ourselves this morning, are we marked by our belief. Better yet, in John's own words, are we marked by our own continual belief in Jesus Christ being Lord? Maybe another question we should ask ourselves this morning is how are we continually living out this belief and does our lives now reflect that he alone is Lord? This moves to the second mark that we get from John, and we see it in, again in verses 1 and again in verse 4. Is Not only are we to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, but now we need to realize that we have been born again in God. You see, here in this particular text, John makes reference to the new birth three times in our passage, and this becomes a reoccurring theme throughout his letter going all the way back to chapter 2, verse 29, and then coming to completion in chapter 5, verse 18. Now pay attention here because John takes his cue from Jesus, who in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, told Nicodemus that one must be born again in order to see the kingdom of God. So this is not some sort of new subject that John decides to throw in at the last minute of his letter. Rather, John is saying to us that if you believe Jesus is the Messiah, then you have now been born of God. And therefore, since you are born of God and you now love others as Christ has loved you, now you can see that you have been born of God. Again, in verse 1, he continues in verse 4 by saying, and if you have been born of God and therefore carry the marks of being born of God, then you will continually overcome the world. You see, this phrase, born of God, is clearly a distinguishing biblical mark of one who is a Christian. 
This phrase can also be translated as born from above or regeneration. So you see, this is not some sort of optional experience for those who believe in God. Rather, the doctrine of regeneration itself is a mark that is essential to the faith of those who believe in Christ Jesus as Lord. It's almost like John is saying to us this morning, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God who lived the life that we should have lived, who died the death that we deserved, who was raised from the dead and has given us salvation that we clearly didn't deserve, then indeed you have received the supernatural work of God and therefore you have experienced what it means to be born again. You see, being born of God points us to the the heart-transforming work of God. John continues and uses the phrase and believes that Jesus is the Christ. That particular phrase now points us to our human response as we hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, by being born of God, through believing in Jesus, we can now rest in knowing that we have been given a new nature, which is the very nature of God. And we've been given that nature as children of God. So for us, when it it comes to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and, and being born again in him, as believers, we can now know and rest that Jesus didn't come to simply make us nice people who do a couple good things every now and then. Rather, Jesus came to radically and eternally transform us into new people. And so this work is now being accomplished through the mark of being born again as children of God. And so we have to ask ourselves when it comes to the second mark, do we act in the very nature of God? Do we as Christians today act as children of God who have been born again in God? This leads to Mark Number three, that again, we see in our first two verses, we see the call to love God and also to love one another. Now, you may be thinking at this point, man, brother, we've already crushed this last week. Like you, you know, John kind of threw us a softball last week about this whole loving God and loving one another thing. And man, we, we pretty much hit that one out of the park. We got it, John. Well, the reality is, yeah, we did. We did talk about this last week, but remember who the author of this letter is. You see, this is John. Again, John is reminding us that this loving God and loving one another, this is not one of those one and done type calls. Rather, this is a daily continual denying to self in faithful obedience to God and in faithful obedience to loving and serving one another. You see, here's the truth according to John. Doctrinal excellence, bold faith, a passion for missions, a passion for evangelism, generous giving and serving all mean nothing to God if we do not love God. Did you hear what I just said to you? Without love for God, even the good that we do have no value in his eyes. Do you hear that? It is not simply enough to go and serve through your local church if you don't love God. It doesn't matter how many books you've read. It doesn't matter how much scripture you've memorized. It doesn't matter what conversation you think you can carry. If you don't love 
God, then it is meaningless. It doesn't matter how many places in the world that you've gone. It doesn't matter how many churches you've helped start. It doesn't matter how many places you've been to talk about God. If it doesn't originate in a love for God, then it does not matter because it has no value in his eyes. You see, John now returns to this notion of love again for us. And again, we've already seen that love is a very important theme throughout this letter. Again, I want to remind you that from 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, all the way to chapter 5, verse 13, we see the word love mentioned 30 times. In fact, in just these first three verses of our text today, John mentions the word love five times. So John is telling us that those who are born of God will love their brothers and sisters. But then he takes it one step further in verse 2 when he says, And we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Again, John is teaching us that if we love God, then we will be people of God that keep his commandments. And a part of his commands is that we are now called to love one another. And we're going to get to more on this in a moment. But John's argument here is pretty plain and pretty simple for us to see. Our love for God guides and motivates our love for others. You see, as believers in Christ today, we should seek to meet needs of others and ultimately sacrifice for the ultimate good of those who live around us. Again, I want to remind you, it is good for us to serve. It is good for us to offer aid. It is good for us to help those around us and those who are within our church. But in, in, we have to do our part in also giving them the reason why it is we serve. We have to do our part in giving them the reason why we offer help and encourage them according to the gospel. And so we need to not only serve them, but we need to be willing to tell them we are doing this because we love God. And there is no other reason. You see, I love what Mark chapter 8, verse 36 says. It says, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? Again, I want to remind you, there is no amount of good that you and I could ever do that would ever appease God if it doesn't begin with our love for God and recognizing his love for us. We move from there into Mark number four in verses two and three in our text. And we see that we are now called to uh, be marked by obeying his commands. Now, again, we are returning back to the importance of the commands of God. And so John teaches us that loving God and obeying God are both distinguishable, uh, is, is distinguishable but, but it's also inseparable. And so when you look at verse two, John shows us that those who love God will obey the commands of God. And then when you get to verse three, notice what John says here. He says, and his commandments are not burdensome. Now, again, I don't know if you underline in your Bible or you highlight or, or maybe you color code in your Bible. If, if you do, this is that blue Sharpie moment, okay? Pop that thing out and underline at verse 3 where it says, and his commandments are not burdensome, okay? Are you picking up what John's putting down for us at this moment? You see, since we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, since we believe that we have been now 
born again and therefore we have the nature of God, we need to realize that we have now been commanded to love God and commanded to love others. And therefore we do this because we are called to obey the commands of God. Thus, as believers in God, we recognize that the commands of God that are given to us out of the spirit of God, we are to now do and follow with joy because they are not a burden to us. Let me simplify that for you. God's commands are not a burden. They are a blessing. Let me say it again. God's commands, according to his word, are not a burden for God's people. Rather, they are a blessing. I want you to think about that for a moment because how many times have we looked in the world and the world has told us about how all they know about Christians is what we don't believe in. And when they talk to Christians about, well, what do you believe in? We respond by saying, well, I have to do this and I have to do that and I have to do this. No, I mean, I'm going to go and tell you if that's your attitude towards the word of God, if that's your attitude towards worship, if that's your attitude towards serving the Lord, you are missing the boat because we're not doing these things because we have to. We're doing them because we delight in doing the commands of God because we love God. Now, I love what John Piper says about this point. He says, what you desire to do with your whole heart is not burdensome to do at all. You see, for us today, we need to take joy in the commands of God. Now, some people may be asking, okay, well, show me in the Bible where it says we ought to take joy in obeying the commands of God. Show me where in Scripture it says to take joy in obeying what the Lord has said. Well, okay, flip over to Psalms. I mean, really, you can do a blind flip at this point. Just flip it open and pick one. Okay, it's not hard. It doesn't even matter. Just just pick one. Here, I'll give you a few just to help you. You see, when you look at Psalms, these are songs that are sung, uh, songs of joy that are being sung about doing the will of God and about obeying his commands. You don't believe me? Flip over to Psalm 1. The first thing it says in Psalm 1 in verses 1 and 2, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Pay attention here. It says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And then underline the next part. And on his law, he meditates day and night. I mean, think about that for a moment. How many of us delight in reading the word of God? How many of us wake up daily and go, yes, in this moment, I get to spend time with God. Most of us don't do that. Most of us wake up and go, God, thank you for this day. But first, got to get some coffee going before I get with you because I'm not ready for you. I mean, we all do it. I'm guilty of that. How many of us at night, when we put our head on a pillow, we go through our day and we replay it in our mind like it's a chess game. And we sit there and say, man, this day was exhausting. I mean, I want to go ahead and be honest. Again, as a parent, I do that. We, we were there last night in our home looking at our kids, and we're like, not all of them, just a couple of them. Uh, two of them were great. Two of them were just not so much last night. But we were looking at them going, this is just exhausting sometimes being a parent. And then we started looking at our schedules going, holy cow, are we ever going to slow down? And I remember putting my head on my pillow going, Lord, this life is exhausting. And not for one moment did I even think God, in this moment, as I lay my head down on my pillow, what I need to be doing is putting my focus back on you and putting my focus back on your word. You see, how often do we do that? 
I'm going to continue. Psalm 112, verse 1. It says, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. And then pay attention. Here we go. Who greatly delights in his commandments. Again, I'm telling you, pick a psalm. Okay? If you get real lucky, you'll fall upon Psalm 119. And let me go ahead and encourage you. Memorize that bad boy. Memorize it. Some of you are kind of chuckling because you're like, yeah, that's a, that's a big one. Some of you are thinking, well, what's the big deal with Psalm 119? Is it one verse? Yeah, sure, go for it. If it'll get you there, go for it, okay? But if you look at Psalm 119 and you read that thing through, man, notice how many times it says delighting in the statutes, delighting in the rules, delighting in the commands of God. It goes on and on and on. So no matter where you're at, as you look through Psalms and then you come back to our text today, there is a clear call to love and to obey the commands of God. You see, loving God rightly is not just an external behavior and outward obedience. Rather, it should create in us a longing to do the will of God from our hearts. Now, you may be thinking, okay, pastor, unpack that. What does that mean to do the will of God from our hearts? Well, again, I'm going I'm to point to the kids for a second, okay, because I've got a birthday coming up, right? And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, man, I'm not, I'm not as excited about this birthday as I normally am because I recognize uh, I'm getting older, and so I kind of found myself at peace uh, with my older brothers and sisters yesterday uh, talking about uh, life as we knew it, and it was just a good and assuring conversation as we watched the young men hurt themselves yesterday. Uh, but either way, um, I was sitting there, I was having this conversation, and I was talking to my mom, who uh, my mom was supposed to be down here uh, th- here this month, and several of y'all have been asking about that, but now that's not going to happen. She's had some things come up, and that's okay. She's really heartbroken about it. I'm really not, and I just realized my mom's going to hear that, so let's edit that out, okay, Corey? Um, but here's the deal, um, and I get it. She's where she needs to be. She's doing what she needs to do, and she's like, man, I'm sad. I'm going to miss your 40th birthday, and I was like, don't be sad about that, because at this point, birthdays for me are just another day. You know what I'm talking about? It's just another day. And she was like, well, how can you say that? I said, because the reality is this. I realize that every day I'm drawing closer and closer to glory. I recognize that every day I'm drawing closer and closer to eternity. So right now, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Am I thankful for what I have? Yes, amen, and absolutely. But I just realized another year getting older is another year I'm getting closer to eternity with my Lord. And so I'm okay with that. And my mom was like, man, that's kind of a morbid way of looking at it. But I don't think it's morbid at all. I think it's just the fact that as a Christian, I delight in the word of God. I delight in what it is that's coming. Oh, there's going to come a day where I'm not going to be worried about who my president is because Jesus is king and I'm going to be with him and that's what matters. I'm not going to be worried about a pandemic. Let me tell you what's not going to happen in heaven. We're not wearing face masks. Okay? And praise God for that. Some of y'all may be like, well, how do you know that? Well, first of all, there's not going to be pandemics in heaven, but secondly, we're all going to be beautiful. So nobody's going to have to cover up anything, okay? And so I'm looking forward to that. But when I think about delighting in the Lord and, and how uh, there's just a longing in us to do the will of God from his heart, man, I think about my kids, so my birthday's coming up. And I was thinking to myself, man, how crazy would it be? And you parents, you grandparents, you, you understand this. Or maybe if, if you're single or you're married with no kids, you might understand this. Imagine a friend comes to you or, or, or it's one of your children, they come to you and you're sitting there and you're having a cup of coffee and then all of a sudden, like one of my children come up to me and they say, Dad, I just want you to know today, I want chores. Like, give me work to do. <laughs> right? You're right, Brother Steve. I hear you. It ain't going to happen. It ain't. 
Now, if, if you, is that ever going to happen? I'm looking at my older two right now. Do you think that'll ever happen? Probably not. No, they th- thank you for your honesty. God bless you. My kids said no. But could you imagine what that would be like? Your kid's coming to you. I want chores to do. I imagine that for a second because I had to cut grass this past week. And, uh, man, I'm still dealing with the Florida heat and humidity down here. And, it, man, it's just a burden to cut your yard, but it's really nice. And uh, I've got this thing going with my neighbor right now. We're kind of competing uh, for yard of the month. And so uh, even though that's not a real thing in our neighborhood, we just kind of go back and forth about it. and We're having a good time with it. Uh, but anyway, I'm feeling pretty good about my yard this month. And so uh, it just blew me away because I was thinking about this, thinking about my own children. I was thinking, how great would it be as, as, as I'm putting on my my yard shoes and my yard clothes, getting ready to go to uh, go out there and work in the yard. How great would it be if your kids just came up to you and said, no, 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 dad, I've got this. I'm going to cut the grass. Like, I don't know how that's going to turn out for my kids, but that sounds great to me. And then all of a sudden I look out there and I say, okay, go, go and cut the grass. And they go and they're cutting and they're edging and they're weed eating. Like I'm just trying to picture Skylar pushing the lawnmower, you know what I'm saying? And I could just, I just want to see her with a big smile on her face, like chewing on grass at the same time. And just thinking, man, my kid is out there delighting in work. She is delighting in serving her father. And that is incredible. Now I want you to think about that for a moment because the same happens with us when we obey the commands of God. You see, when it comes to God's word, this is, this is not an, oh man, I have to act of obedience. But rather for us as believers, it's a, I want to act of obedience. It's a looking to God and saying, Lord, I desire to serve you and I desire to follow your commands. Why? Because I love you. And because of that, I love to obey my king. So this morning, we have to ask ourselves, are we marked by love of obedience to King Jesus and to his word? I think the answer to that question can be found in our next question, which is this. Well, how often do we even spend time in the word to know what it is that God has called us to? We move from there into Mark number five here in verse four, and we see that we are to now be marked by the fact that we know that we have overcome the world. Now I'm going to move a little bit quicker here because this may be one of my favorite passages in our text this morning. You see, I love this particular passage because it's marked with words like overcome, It's marked with words like victory, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you, man, these are words that we need to hear as Christians. We need to hear and be reminded that we have overcome. We need to hear and be reminded that there is victory. I mean, i got to tell you personally, I need to hear these words on a daily basis in my life when I'm dealing with some stuff that comes at me every day. Now, what I love is that both of these words in the text come from the same Greek word that tells us that if we have now been born of God, then we will conquer. And again, this is not just a one-time victory. This is not a one-off victory. Rather, this is a continuous victory that occurs again and again and again throughout this world. In other words, this is a spiritual beat down. That's the type of overcoming we're talking about. This is a spiritual beating. This is the type of victory that we now live in. I mean, just think about this for a moment, okay? Now, I don't know if you've been paying attention over the weekend with sports, but the Tampa Bay Lightning are in the Stanley Cup final again, okay? I don't know anything about hockey, but I just love the fact that the team that is, that I'm in the town with a team that is winning. 
As an Atlanta guy, that never happened to me. So to be here and to see teams winning, dude, I'm celebrating, okay? I mean, who, if you're a Tampa Bay Lightning fan, you would probably like nothing more than to watch that hockey team walk in and in the first four games, win them 8-0, to 6-0, to 10-0, to and then just for fun in game four, 15-0. to Wouldn't that be great? I mean, I don't even care about the emotions of the other team at this point. I'm not worried about their city. I want to see a beating because I want my team to win. Well, this is exactly what John is talking about. Maybe I need to put it in another context for you. You see, uh, I don't know if you're, if you're this way when it comes to sports or if you're this way when it comes to tools or maybe you're this way when it comes to video games. I used to be a, a big video game person, okay? And I loved Nintendo. That was just a way to go. And I remember the old 16-bit Nintendo games uh, that used to come out. And there was a great one called Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. And man, I loved that game. You see, there was a character on that game. And if you know what I'm talking about, you'll relate well with this. If not, and you don't even know what I'm talking about, man, God bless you. Um, come over to my house. I got the game. We'll play. Okay. All right. But here, there's this character on there where when this character throws a punch, you dodge it. And then what you do is you start alternating punches and eventually that dude will go down. And when he goes down, he's not getting up. Now I'm going to go ahead and confess to you today that when I play that game, even to this day, after I beat this particular character, I don't just go ahead and finish out the game. I'll hit the reset button. You want to know why? Because I love beating that guy. I mean, I can just do it again and again and again. It's like when I'm all of a sudden looking at the preview screen and there's little Mac and then there's this character and then you're waiting on Mario to walk out there and yell fight because he's the referee. It's like you just know the beating is coming. It's now here and it's game on. And I know no matter what, I'm going to be victorious. You see, this same thing is true in our relationship with God. You see, as children of God, as those who obey his commands because we delight in his commands, because we desire to do his commands, because of our love for him, we can now realize and know that we too will overcome the world. You see, it doesn't matter what happens to us in life because God is victorious. It doesn't matter what Satan and the demons may throw our way. A spiritual beating is coming for them, and we will be victorious. It doesn't matter what sin we are struggling with. It doesn't matter what sin that we've already overcome that Satan continues to throw in our face. At the end of days, we will be victorious because even in that moment, sin will be beaten to a pulp as we celebrate our eternal victory in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, here's the reality we need to realize as believers. Our lives will not be easy. Things will not be easy. In fact, life will get messy. But what we need to hold on to is the fact that at the end of days, we will be victorious because eternal Life awaits us. I mean, I want you to think about that for a moment. Think about it in terms of John for a moment, okay? Put yourself in John's shoes as he's being threatened or as he's being persecuted or as as he's about to be banished to an island to serve as a slave. I mean, just think about his, his thoughts for a moment. John, you're about to be persecuted. I imagine he'd say, bring it. 
Bring it, because if I live, I'm going to keep obeying Jesus Christ because I desire and delight to do the commands of God. I'm going to continue telling people about God. So if I live through this, then you lose because I'm still going to tell people about Jesus. But then John would go on to say, and if I die, if what you're about to put me through kills me, If this persecution is going to mean the end of my life, then that means I spend eternity with God and I will be restored fully in the victory that is found in Jesus Christ our Lord. And again, you lose. You see, this is the attitude that we are called to have. As believers in Christ, this is not a calling of arrogance, but rather it's a calling of as one who knows that we are going to overcome this battle. We're going to overcome what's facing us because God has already won the war. Now this should lead us to end our desires and our lusts for the world. It should lead us to a point where we say, man, I'm, I'm done with sin in my life. I'm, I'm done with this nonsense. If you're here and you're, you're struggling with sin and, man, you, and you, you're now realizing, man, I can be overcome by the victory that's found in Jesus Christ, we need to be saying to each other at this point, man, sin does not satisfy me. The desires of this world, they do not satisfy me. My passion now is for God and God alone. Sin now is no longer desirable for me, only God and serving his commands That is the only thing that is desirable for me. So as one who overcomes, we now no longer have a desire for the stuff of this world that will perish, but rather our first desire is for God and for God alone to be glorified in all things. Now, I love it because as we look at this verse in verse 4, we come to what I believe is the, the best part of this passage. It's when John tells us that we are now armed not only with love, but now John tells us that we have a new weapon. And that weapon is faith, which according to John is the victory that has overcome the world. Now again, I don't know about you, but there's nothing better than getting a new toy. There's nothing better than getting a new tool. There's nothing better than, than getting another, uh, another weapon in a game. I mean, it's almost like being a kid in a candy store. It's like, man, come on, God. Like you've already, you've already given us the secret code of winning. It's you, okay? And you've already given us the command, which is, which is loving you and obeying the commands of, of your word, which calls us to love one another. So, so we already know in you through love, we are going to win. But now all of a sudden you're going to give us another tool. You're going to give us faith. Let's go. Like, how can this get any better? You see, for John, he understood that faith is now the victory that helps us overcome the world. And here's the beauty of it all. Faith was with God in the beginning. Faith is with us today. And it's faith that will be with us to the very end. And the faith that we now have that has now been given to us helps us to remember that we have overcome the world and reminds us that we are now marked as children of God. In other words, our faith tells us that we have overcome. Praise God for the faith that he has given us. This leads us to verse 5, which is our final mark that John gives us. John says as believers, we are to be marked by confessing that Jesus is the Son of God. So now John brings us really full circle at this point. He tells us here, like verse 1, that uh, we are to believe in Jesus, but now not only believe in him, but we now confess that Jesus is the Son of the God, which is the very root of our faith and where ultimately we find our victory. 
Now again, we see the title of Son of God. Now this is important because this title points us to the fact that Jesus was both man and God. So Jesus carries with him both the nature of man, but also the very nature of God. Not 50-50, but 100% man, 100% God. In other words, Jesus came from God, and yet it's Jesus who is God. You see, Jesus has always existed and will always exist as the second person of the triune God. And so this confession now becomes both particular for us and persevering as we confess that Jesus is the only Son of God. In other words, there are no other ways by which we are saved. Again, we see the word believes, which I love because believes, the verb here is actually written in the present tense and it calls again for continuous action. Are you kind of picking up on a theme here for John? You see, this belief, again, is not a one-time belief. For John, he tells us in verse 5, this is a lifetime belief. And so as believers, we must always return to the good news of the gospel. We should always return to the good news of Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. I like what it says in John chapter 3, verse 36, when we read, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So the question we have to ask ourselves in this final mark is, man, what do you believe today? And maybe it's not even what do you believe today, what are you, what are you confessing today? Do you confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Do you know the victory that is now found in him? I mean, just as Jesus asked the apostles, so we ask ourselves today, who do you say that he is? And just like with the apostles, our answer to that question will have eternal implications both now and for forever. Man, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, these, these are the marks of being an overcomer. But I want to remind you, there's, there's good news this morning, okay? The good news is this. Jesus wants you to believe in him. You see, Jesus already took on sin. He already took on condemnation so that we would not have to. And so as believers, our debt has now been paid. So as a non-believer in the room, if you're hearing this, man, you can now know life-giving salvation for yourself, and it is found through Jesus Christ our Lord. Just to keep it simple, man, repent, trust in Jesus as Savior, and trust in him as Lord. You see, Jesus wants all of us to experience heart change. He wants us to delight in the loving Father. He wants us to be filled with a passion to know him and filled with a passion to obey his commands and to serve him. He wants us to, to delight in his very commands, to delight in the word. And he wants us to know that we have now been armed with a faith that no matter what the world throws at you, we are still children of God. And so knowing that, man, what do you have to say this morning? Are you ready to make the commitment to God? As believers today, are you ready to bear the marks of the overcomer? Let's pray together.